You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Let's go. If I was going to work out, I would watch that video beforehand. But maybe that day will come in spring. I don't know. Every time spring comes, I feel like I need to get back in the gym. So I'm, I'm thinking about it, praying about it. Hey, it's good to see you guys. If you've got your Bibles, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Um, just a, a few things, man. What an incredible week for the life of our church, man. So many people. I, I know there were 175 adults plus their kids. So we had well over 200 people involved in serving our community this week, especially yesterday, doing so many projects and touching so many lives. So thank you for being a part of that. Thank you for serving. This is a, a huge part of what it means to be a part of Foothills Church. But we actually don't just learn the Bible and, and hear more truth but that we actually put it into practice. And so um, I'm excited about that and all the relationships that took place as a result. Um, The biggest news in the life of our church is that on Thursday, Foothills Church bought the property next door. So we now own it all. Yeah. Really excited about the go-kart track and uh, actually get to use it. But... Man, God has just been so faithful through this journey. Um, you know, we're, we're in a series now entitled Let's Go, and it was birthed out of a focus group that we did for, with, with several of our adults who are invested in the life of our church, and we just talked about our, our, our next steps, the vision, and out of that meeting was birthed this series because their thought pattern was, look, we've got so many new people and so many folks that, that want to uh, join us that haven't had the opportunity to give and, and make commitments toward invest. Uh, let's do a series and give them that opportunity. And so uh, the, the, the Let's Go concept was born. And so our hope through this series is to inform, encourage, inspire you to join God's work and and partner with us through our Invest campaign. We started it about a year and a half ago, and many of you gave on Generosity Sunday, and then you made commitments toward the campaign. And, And for those of you who have not, this series is really to encourage you to join us. So next Sunday is Generosity Sunday. It's going to be a one-time gift, a one-time offering that I'm I'm asking and inviting all of you to participate in, uh, even if you've already given, uh, to join us in kicking off the the building of this auditorium. And so we want to ask you to give one time on that day and then uh, also make commitments for the, the year, for the month, however you feel God leads you, uh, but we really feel like this is what God wants us to do, and, and uh, I've been encouraged and inspired by uh, how many people are serving and how many people are joining us, and I'm excited to see what God does through this series with all of our new folks um, as we pursue this new auditorium and open up space for people that are not here. Um, so I want to start today by asking you a question about your, your memory How many of you would say that I have a good memory? By show of hands, you remember stuff, you remember events. Very good. Way more in this service than in the first service. How many of you would admit along with me that your memory is shot? Uh, You might meet somebody and five seconds later you don't even know their name or what they look like. And, and so, yeah, so some of us are good at, at memorizing and remembering stuff and some of us not so good. But in the Bible, it's interesting that God encourages us to remember certain events. Um, When a specific, um, impactful moment happens, uh, God will sometimes instruct his people to uh, erect an altar 
And this altar is there to help symbolize the movement of God in that situation. So um, it helps remember what God uh, has done. Over and over in Scripture, the Word of God tells us to remember the covenant that He has made with us, to remember His promises, to remember His Word and hide it into our hearts so that it will come to our attention in times of need. In, in, in fact, when God flooded the earth and He gave the, the promise to Noah uh, at the end of that flood, he sealed that promise with a way for us to remember that event and to remember that he made a promise that he was never going to do that again. And so he, he created the rainbow for us. And so he, we see the rainbow and then that reminds us of God's covenant and God's promise to never flood the earth again. And so um, we ultimately remember Jesus in communion. And so we call it the Lord's Supper. And and so we take a piece of bread, we take the juice, uh, and that symbolizes, the bread symbolizes his broken body, the juice representing his blood that was spilled out in atonement for our sin. And Jesus says, as oft as you eat and drink, remember me. You see, even if you have a bad memory, it's important that we remember what God is doing in our life. It's so easy to get caught up in the world and caught up in the day-to-day grind of, of our work, of running our kids around, of, of doing life and, and all the problems that life has with it. And then we forget all the great things that God did in our life and answered prayer, a miracle, somebody's healed, somebody accepts Christ, how we were energized by His Spirit, how we really felt close to God in a specific event. We get about our busy life and then we forget what he's done. And so, so today my hope is to help you remember some things that God has done. Worship him in response. And then also specifically remember that you are not who you are today simply because of your own effort and work. You are the person that you are today most likely because there was not just one, maybe one or two in particular, but probably many people that invested into your life to help you become the man and the woman that you are today. And it's helpful for us to remember those people that invested into us. We don't want to forget about their investment. We don't want to forget about how they impacted us. And so Today, I hope that you will take some time to truly remember those people in your life who invested into you. The reality is, someone invested into you, but even more than that, many people have invested into you. In particular, if you're a part of our church, then, then you will remember that Grace Baptist Church invested into Foothills Church, giving thousands of dollars giving volunteers much prayer, much work, much effort, a lot of ministry, a lot of sweat, went into creating this church. And so they invested into us. Many others have invested into our life that sometimes we don't think about. When you think about the fact that we are here worshiping our God without any persecution, without any fear this morning that somebody's going to hinder that worship because of the blood, sweat, and tears of the men and women before us who paid the ultimate sacrifice for our freedom. Many people in your own family who suffered, who worked hard, you know, to, to begin a career maybe in this city or maybe in this state, and, and they, they went through so much heartache they, so much trouble. Life was so much difficult in so many ways. 
so that we could enjoy all of the conveniences that we get to enjoy today. You see, it's hard sometimes to realize that the fact that we have the technology that we have, the grocery stores that we have, the restaurants that we're going to eat at today, and forget the fact that it took a lot of time and effort and work to make that a reality for us to enjoy. And when you think about the spiritual impact people have made upon our life, men and women have died for their faith so that we could have this book written in our language. Men and women gave up everything to cross the ocean because they had a dream and a vision to be able to be a part of a land where they could freely worship Jesus Christ. We put together a video that really hopefully captures a little bit of the bigness of our story. You see, our story as a church is still being written, but men and women have come before us from Paul himself, the resurrection of Jesus, the transformation of Paul and the disciples, and because of their investment into the life of the church, we are here today and so many others. So let's take a minute to remember them today and let's watch this video. In AD 49-54, Paul travels through Asia and Southern Europe planting churches and sharing the gospel. In AD 174, the first Christians are reported in Austria. By AD 350, it has been recorded that 31.7 million people claim Christ as Lord. That is roughly 53% of the Roman Empire at the time. In A.D. 432, St. Patrick returned to Ireland where he had been a slave for six years to share the gospel. By A.D. 596, Gregory the Great sends Augustine to England. Missionaries settle in Canterbury and baptize 10,000 people in the first two years. By A.D. 1200, the Bible is available in 22 different languages. In A.D. 1517, Martin Luther published the 95 Thesis sparking the Protestant Reformation. Luther, along with John Calvin and other Protestant reformers, shaped the culture and history of the church in the West. In the 16th century, a group of Christians who advocated moral and doctrinal purity separated from the Church of England. Known as Puritans or Pilgrims, they migrated to America seeking religious freedom. Landing on Plymouth Rock, they later established the English colony of Massachusetts. In 1740, George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards began evangelizing the colonies of New England and America. The result was known as the Great Awakening. In 1845, the Southern Baptist Convention organized its mission board with the goal of spreading the gospel in the U.S. and the world. On December 17, 1916, at 2 p.m. exactly, a small group of people met roughly 11 miles outside of Knoxville in a small farming community known as Carnes. Grassy Valley Baptist Church was created, later renamed Grace Baptist Church. In 1988, Dr. Ron Stewart came to Grace Baptist Church to be the senior pastor. In 2009, Grace Baptist Church planted a church in Maryville, Tennessee named Grace Church of the Foothills, led by Pastor Trent Stewart. In January 2011, the name was changed to Foothills Church, and with 130 people, they bought a new facility known as Thunderworld. On February 27, 2011, Foothills Church began their first service in their new building. 
On March 27, 2016, Foothills Church records its largest attendance in history with 2,300. On April 21, 2016, the property next door to the church was purchased to construct a 1,200-seat auditorium to accommodate the current growth and open up space for more people to come. We stand on the shoulders of men and women who have spread the gospel and built God's church all over the world. Many people invested into Foothills Church. Much has been accomplished over the last seven years. Our story is still being written, and God is looking for men and women to go all in. A little bit of a taste of of how many people it took for us to be here today. And man, that's exciting to think about the history of God's church and how we are a part of something much bigger than even just Foothills Church. But that we would have the opportunity to partner with a God who is on a mission and that we would be faithful and walk with him and obedience to experience that is something that encourages me, inspires me, and I hope that it inspires you as well. I, I, my, my main, I think, idea today in this sermon is to help you see that someone invested into you, so you must invest into someone. We, we don't just get an investment into our lives so that we can live selfishly, so that we can live a, a life that uses all of our resources for ourselves and, and then just think about only ourselves and, and maybe one or two kids that, that God gives to us. No, we want to expand our mentality that someone invested in us so we want to invest into someone as well Um, in our scripture today um, we're going to look at second corinthians and so that's the second letter that paul writes to the church in corinth it's a city and so in the first letter to corinth he talked to them about the jerusalem church and how they were in poverty being persecuted and they needed financial assistance And so he shares with them this need. And so evidently they got really excited about that need and they said they were going to meet that need financially. Uh, Titus sends this letter to to Paul uh, or to to the church and uh, they get all excited. Well, then Titus goes back to the church and he realizes that in fact they are not giving. They said they were going to give. They were excited about giving, but they're not giving. And so Paul writes a second letter Um, Not only for for this offering, but also for all kinds of other problems that they were experiencing. But but this one problem in chapters 8 and 9, Paul uh, specifically addresses. And so he brings them back to their calling, back to the vision, back to what God wants them to do. And he gives them some great examples. And so I want us to look at chapter 18. We're going to look at the first 15 Verses And if you're the kind of person that likes to circle things and underline things in your Bible, I've often told you that anytime you see the same word over and over again, it's a clue that God is specifically trying to teach us something, you know, a, a, a theme or something important. And so we want to recognize these words. And so I would encourage you to circle or underline the word grace in this passage as we read it. I'll come back to it. Verse 1. He says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So in Macedonia, churches like Philippi and other churches like that are in this area. Not necessarily an area that is impoverished or anything, but evidently the churches there were under persecution. I'll continue, verse 2. For in a severe test of affliction, 
Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. <laughs> That's, that doesn't make sense to us, does it? They're experiencing a, a severe trial. They are under affliction, and yet it resulted in a lot of joy. I don't get that. And they overflowed with generosity. Verse 3, For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord. In other words, they did it on their own. Nobody forced them. Verse 14, begging us earnestly for the favor, for the favor is the word charis, so that, that counts as the word grace as well. I'll come back to that. Of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, speech, and knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment, this benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness is in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Well, before, we, before I start in verse 1, I want us to jump down um, and, and begin to look at verses 6 and following, because he talks about the act of grace. And, the, and, and this is important for us, because God's grace is his unmerited his, his, his nothing, in other words, nothing that we did to deserve it, um, act of kindness or act of favor upon our life. So, so God's grace ultimately is culminated in the cross of Jesus Christ because we did not earn that, we did not deserve that, but his favor and his mercy is shown to us in that Jesus atoned for our sin. That is the grace of Jesus in our life. So when we think about those who have invested into us, the first person we start with is Jesus. Jesus invested into you. He gave up, it says here, that he gave up his riches. In other words, his riches in heaven, his eternal glory, his, his eternal existence in heaven. He gives that richness up and he steps into poverty. In other words, he stepped, in, stepped into human flesh and, and he lives this life amongst the people that he created. And then he dies and suffers on a cross. You see, it is that grace that Paul points to. Jesus invested into you. And so if you're taking notes, the first concept here today to recognize is that God's grace fuels generosity. Before we can even talk about growing in the act of grace or in the act of generosity, we have to realize that Jesus' grace was shown to us. He invested that into us. He is our model, and that's what fuels our 
generosity. In fact, that's what fuels anything good within us. There is nothing in you, there is nothing in me that would desire God. Do you realize that? There is nothing in you that would recognize sin in your life apart from the grace of God. God, God, God's favor and his mercy is given to us that we might recognize, oh, I'm a sinner. And then, oh, there's a huge problem because of my sin. And then, oh, Jesus is the solution to that problem. You see, nothing happens spiritually in our life if it not for the work of God's grace calling us and changing us. Paul says here that you've grown in this grace of faith and of love and of speech and of knowledge and of earnestness. And what he means here is that it is a a, a work of God's grace for us to grow in faith. And so he gives us this faith. He grows our faith. In knowledge, we don't learn anything new about him unless he teaches us, unless he reveals that truth to us. And so that's why we pray, God, teach us, show us your ways. We don't grow in our love. We don't grow in our earnestness unless he gives us his grace to grow in those areas. That's why when some of you showed up to this church, you were disenfranchised with, with, with church. Maybe you weren't really excited about church or about God. And, and it was God's grace that you experienced amongst this place. And, and now you have grown in passion. You've grown in your earnestness to serve him. And so you're serving him in some way. You're coming to church every week. You're following him. You're experiencing him. That is God's grace. That's not because you're a better person today. That's because God is drawing you. And so that's what leads us to worship. When we recognize that, we say, oh my gosh, as I'm growing here, God, this is because of you. And so we worship you for this. And God, we just want more of that in our life. And then Paul says in verse 7, he says, just at 6 and 7 here, just as you grow in knowledge, as you've grown in all these other areas, he says, grow in this grace as well. And what he's talking about is in the grace of generosity as he's given the example of giving to the Macedonian churches or how the Macedonian churches had given to this cause. He says, grow in this act of grace, this act of generosity. And so here's the deal. God's grace grows us in all of these areas, including generosity. And yet the scripture teaches us that we're responsible So he draws us, and in some way, we are still called to grow. We are still called as followers of Christ to be responsible in that call. And so he calls us to grow in our generosity. He's calling the church in Corinth to grow. The reason why he is urging them to be generous is simply because they were not being generous. He's talking about how they have and, and, and more than enough financially. And God has supplied so much more for you. So you, you have the means to bless these other folks who are going through a severe test of affliction. They're, they're going through extreme poverty here. So you can bless them. And at the end of the passage, he, he kind of ties it all together. And he says, look, at this point in your life, you have more. Bless them because one day you may not have more. And then maybe they do and then they will bless you or somebody else God will send to bless you and and allow you to have the needs uh, met in your life. In verses 1 through 5, he explains this testing of affliction. We're not sure exactly what's taking place, but on some level, uh, it was a financial crisis that they were experiencing. 
On some level, they were being persecuted for their faith. Maybe perhaps they owned businesses, and as a believer in Jesus, people stopped doing business with them. They stopped going to their stores, and so now they have less money, and so now they are in extreme poverty. And so you might think that, oh, they're in extreme poverty. That means the Macedonian churches aren't going to be a part of this offering that we're trying to collect up for the church in Jerusalem, and Paul says, oh, on the contrary, here's the example that you need to look to. Even though you have more, they have way less. And out of their poverty, they gave. Out of their poverty, uh, God's grace grew in them, and, and it led to an abundance of joy, an abundance of giving. Why? Why would they do this? If you're poor, should, shouldn't you just keep your money? I mean, the hope is to not be poor any longer, right? Or to be poor as, as, as few days as possible. And so we don't give away our money. And yet that's not what the scripture here teaches. It teaches that they were eager to sacrifice. Because here's the reality. Here's the second point today. Sacrifice is giving up what you want for something that you want even more. And so they were willing to make sacrifices financially and give up some of the things that they wanted, even though they were already in poverty, because they wanted something else more. What did they want? Well, I believe they wanted to bless this other group of believers. They wanted to encourage them financially. They wanted to bless them, but they also knew that as they blessed them, that God would take care of their needs. They were expecting their generosity to be blessed by God. I think they realized 2 Corinthians 9, 6, which says whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And so even though they were in poverty, they, they wanted to sow generously. And, and listen, the, the amount is not what's praised. It's their attitude. It's their sacrifice that is praised that we want to admire and even emulate today. Because out of their extreme poverty, they gave more over and above what was expected of them. They wanted to sow generously so they would reap God's blessing generously. And in verse 5, Paul says, I didn't expect it. Threw me for a curve, man. I didn't, I didn't see that one coming. He says, I didn't expect it because they're poor. And, and I didn't think that they were going to do this. But they begged him to be involved. They begged him to be a part of this mission um, I don't know about you, but as a parent, one of the things that's really encouraging to see, and it doesn't happen very often, but when one of your kids does something extremely gracious to another one of your kids or to somebody else, you know, and you witness it, and it's not like you force them, be nice to your sister, or you didn't do something, you didn't threaten their life to do this, you know, but they actually just decided, and you just by chance caught them doing something awesome for somebody else. I mean, what, what's that do in your heart? I mean, it's just like, ah, oh, they're listening to something every now and then. You know, they're, they're grasping something and you hold on to those moments and it's so encouraging and your, your heart melts and you want to pick them up and hug them, and, but you don't want to ruin the moment. And so it warms your heart. And, and so in the same way, I think Paul, as their spiritual leader, he started all these churches and they are giving out of, out of their poverty. I can only imagine like him just overwhelmed with, with just emotion, just thinking, man, they're getting it. This is incredible. This is God's act. I didn't guilt them into this. I didn't force them into this. 
He said, I mean, he basically taught them what God, you know, wants them to do and how to live their life. And now they're, they're joining in and, 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 and on their own accord, this passage says, they're joining this mission. You know, when we started the Spent series, um, we had so many new people here um, and so many, you know, a lot of, a lot of young Christians. And, and, um, and, and so we teach on how to be a financial steward of the resources that God has given to us. And so we teach through that. We talk about what it means to be a percentage giver. And we talk about how to put God first financially. And, and, and when we do, how less frustrating life is. And, 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 it reward, or, and God rewards us. And, and we honor God. He blesses us in turn for, for being faithful with our resources. But, but the reality is, even if we never tangibly can see one of the blessings God gives to us as a result of giving financially to him, uh, we, we have the satisfaction of knowing that we are living our life honoring God and that one day he will reward us ultimately in heaven with well done, good and faithful servant. And those eternal rewards are all stacking up for us as we give and are faithful today. And so we teach all that stuff and you just kind of wait and see. And I've been so encouraged. And in, in, in some ways, like Paul here, didn't expect the growth that God has given to us. And, and, and even people who are giving gifts and, and, and large donations for the building and for the property, that just floor me. And, and, and it's just evidence of God really working because this isn't something I can guilt you into or, or your small group leaders are, are like condemning you. It's just like, hey, here's what God's word says. If you want to join him, well, let's go. And people are responding. And I want to encourage those who haven't yet to do so. But I think it was the grace of God that, that planted this church. It was the grace of God that we've seen hundreds of people give their life to Christ over the last seven years. Not my effort, not anybody's effort or to, or to any of our credit. But it simply is an act of God's grace. And so then he gives us the opportunity with property and, and vision for for, for buildings and, and, and so many people in this area still in need of the gospel. And we say, let's go. We, we believe this is where God's taking us. And, and we invite you to finish the work that God has started. That's the third point today. I think in verse 11 and then again in verse 6, Paul is telling them to finish the work. Finish it. In verse 11, he says, finish doing this. In verse 6, he says, complete it. The Greek word there, uh, complete it, literally means to complete something that's already begun. You said you were going to do this, so finish it. Now, maybe when you were a kid, you started a sport and you hated it, you know, whatever it was, it was, you know, you, you didn't like it, you didn't want to go to practice anymore, maybe you weren't good at it, and you just wanted to quit. But some of us had that dad that said, mm-mm, you started it, you're going to finish it, right? And we hated that. We hated every, every second of that conversation with our dad or, or a mom. But now today, fast forward how many years later, you realize the concept that they were trying to teach you. When you commit to something, you finish it. When you commit to a church, you finish that commitment by doing what you said you were going to do when you committed to it. You finish you know, the ministry that you said you were going to begin, and, and, and you finish it when you committed you were going to finish it. Some of you began to give, and, and that's been great. And, and so 
we, we, we start off strong, but sometimes just like the Corinthian church, the excitement and the emotion is go, 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 go. And then life takes over and we forget the commitments that we make. And so I think as the spiritual leader of this church, there's a great reminder here for each of us. We might not have started this work, because I believe God started it, but we certainly joined it. And we're here as a result of his work and his mission. And so we need to complete what he started in us and, and, and do what we said we were going to do. I think it's important for us to finish the work that God has started here. In verse 8, Paul says, this is not a command. In other words, he's saying, look, you don't, you don't have to do this. We can talk about the percentage giving, and that's what we did you know, in the winter when we talked about spend and putting God first. But when we talk about you know, building stuff and campaigns and those kinds of things, this is over and above that. This is, this is like an invitation. This isn't a command. So you don't have to give next Sunday at Generosity Sunday when we give. You know, we don't have to do that. I certainly encourage you to think about it, and I certainly invite you to do that. But just like the church in Corinth, look, guys, you don't have to give to the Jerusalem church, but, oh, man, how awesome would it be if you did, if you, if you sacrificed some things in your life now for things that you would like to see even more in the future. So the fourth point today is invest is an invitation. It's not a command. So we don't want to give begrudgingly. God loves a cheerful giver. So we want to give out of a heart that recognizes that God invested in us and that other people have invested in us. And that investment should not be hoarded. It should be freely given to others. What happens when we hoard? Have you ever seen that show? That's, that's what happens when you hoard. <laughs> People show up and do a TV show about it. <clears throat> I mean, some gross stuff happens in our life when we hoard for ourselves. That investment has been given so that we could freely invest into others. That's our motivation, God's grace in our life showing us what it looks like and, and how to do it. In verse 12, he says that they gave according to what one has, not what one doesn't have. So again, I, I don't look in, at my bank account and think, you know, what can I afford to give? I don't look at that. I don't say, <clears throat> how, what's left over at the end of the, the month? And then what could, we, what could we do? No, it starts first with a conversation with God. And it's God, what... What should I give? What are you calling me to give? And, and maybe it hurts a little bit and I, I feel it in, in some of these other areas and, and I've got to walk by faith because of that gift. But Paul says, according to what one has. And then he closes out talking about fairness. You know, because some people have been blessed financially more so than others. And so we should give according to how we've been blessed. And, and when we... When we do that, we honor him. And so we don't hold one person up in esteem. Oh, man, look at how much they gave. And these other people, they did all right. But this guy, because the reality is maybe some of these smaller gifts were, were even a bigger sacrifice than some of, the, some of the bigger gifts. So the number is not important so much to God as it is the heart behind our gift. And so my encouragement for us today is 
is not just to be a random giver. A random giver shows up on Generosity Sunday at the close of the day and opens up their wallet and whatever's in there, they give. That's not what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to be thoughtful about it. I'm asking you to pray about it. To go home if you're married, to pray with your spouse and to think about what we can give and to have that conversation. If you're single, uh, a serious time where you're with the Lord and asking Him, you know, what, what is it, God? What, what should I do to be a part of this mission? I believe God has brought us here for a reason and He's got so much more for our church to experience. And as we recognize the number of people that invested into us and we continue to invest in others by giving to God and by, by pursuing this vision of growing this church, I believe God is going to bless you. Um, I'm, I, w- I wouldn't call myself, you know, a versed laundry type guy. All right, I'm just going to confess that I don't do laundry a lot in our household. My wife is a, an amazing woman and she, she does the, the, the majority of that. One day I had a particular pair of pants or shorts that I wanted to wear and uh, so, so I washed them and I threw them in the dryer and I set the timer and um, I came back when it buzzed, opened up the dryer and they were still wet. And I was like, that's weird. So I threw it back in and I, I set the timer, you know, for maybe another five or 10 minutes and thought that would be good. Walked away, buzzed again, came back. They were still wet. So I said, honey, what's the deal with our dryer? Why, you know, I don't, how much time should I put on this thing so that it would finish? And she said, I don't even mess with the timer. All you do is you hit this button and then the dryer senses when it's dried and then you take it out. Mind blown. I had no idea the technology was there. But now, when I do laundry, <laughs> when that day comes, um, I just hit the button and it senses and it's a glorious thing. You know, life is a lot like that. In that when you learn new truth, whether it be financial, whether it be spiritual, whatever it be, whatever it is, when we learn those new truths and we apply them, life can be a lot simpler. It can be a lot less stressful. The burden is a lot smaller. I mean, when you put God first in your finances, you realize that, hey, I'm going to give this much to God. I'm going to save this much. I'm going to live on the rest. And that's just how it is. And I'm going to live in that. And oh, now I don't have arguments with my spouse. And oh, now I don't have credit card debt. And oh, now I, I'm, I'm honoring God and we're living within our means. Life is so much more enjoyable when we follow God's principles. And that's true in every area of our life. God gives us the grace to learn new truths. We're responsible for those truths, and and as we live them out, we grow, and man, maybe one day we could experience what the Macedonian churches were experiencing, that even though they were going through a severe test of affliction, they had an abundance of joy, and even though they were in extreme poverty, it overflowed in generosity. That's so not what you would expect, is it? I think the proper way to end our time together is to remember 
the investment that Jesus made into us. As we think about the investment we're gonna make into his church next Sunday. And so if our ladies and guys could go ahead and get in position, we're gonna take communion. The band is gonna sing and sing a song over us. And as scripture teaches us, anytime we take the Lord's Supper together, it's a time to remember. It's a time to reflect that Jesus Christ went to the cross, taking our place, taking the wrath of God upon himself, atoning for our sin, and providing a way for us to not only have salvation and forgiveness of sins, but the hope of heaven. He rose on the third day, defeating sin and death. And, and as we have made that commitment to follow and trust him, we, we remember that sacrifice with a piece of bread, remembering that his body was broken, remembering that there was a price to be paid to experience our salvation. There was a sacrifice given. Remembering that the blood that was poured out was for the sins of many. And, and it's through that atoning work on the cross and his resurrection that we can experience forgiveness and have freedom today to know him, to live for him, to experience him. And that is God's grace. You didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve it. But may we remember it each and every day. And as we take the Lord's Supper, the scripture teaches us to have a moment of reflection before we do that. As we remember it, we also confess sin. We also restore that relationship with him. We remember that the Lord's Supper is for those who have given their life to Christ. If you've never done that, this makes no sense for you. And if you've got young children, it makes no sense for them. It's a good teaching opportunity. But as I pray, ushers, you guys come forward and band will come. And the way that we do it here at FC is we just hand out the bread and the juice and you take it on your own whenever you're ready. Let's remember him today. Father, we pause this morning. We remember the sacrifice. We remember what you've done for us. We remember what others have done for us to help us get to where we're at today. And I pray, God, that that knowledge would help us to be generous, generous with our time, generous with our gifts, generous with our resources, that we can continue to support the work financially here at FC. And so, God, I pray over Generosity Sunday that we would give freely next week, that you would use that gift to accomplish the work that you've set before us. Father, for those in the room who are still learning this, these truths, may you speak to them, may your grace shower them this morning with hope and refreshment. God, we look forward to the blessing as we so generously, Lord, we expect to receive generously the blessing of God in our life and also the rewards in heaven. As we serve you and honor you, God, what a glorious joy that brings. Father, we lift up our church and our commitments to you today, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.